Let's give ourselves now to the reading of God's most holy word, Genesis 2, 24 and 25. It's a sermon text for today. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Genesis, but we're given special attention to the topic of marriage for a while. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. The New Testament reading is James chapter 3, 1, all the way through 4, 3. Uh, this passage has to do with the tongue, uh, with our words and our use of them to the glory of God. James uh, begins by saying, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, that is true. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So far the reading of God's most holy word. We pray that the Lord would bless the preaching of it as well. This is now the seventh sermon in this series within a series on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So far, we have only addressed the subject of marriage, and the same will be true of the sermon today, uh, teaching concerning uh, the very difficult but important subject of divorce and remarriage uh, will be presented in the weeks to come, Lord willing. Uh, today we are once again asking the question, how can we build a marriage relationship that is healthy and God-honoring? Uh, my original intention for this sermon was to address common problems that arise within marriages, Couples often struggle with, with some things that are, that are common. Uh, couples often struggle to show love, to resolve conflicts, and to develop physical and emotional intimacy. It is quite common for conflicts to arise over issues such as parenting or time management, finances. And indeed, if we were to make an entire list of uh, the problems prevalent within marriages, the list would be quite long. But instead of saying a little bit about a lot of common problems, I've decided to take a different course, and that is to say kind of a lot about one issue in particular, and that is the issue of communication. I have uh, three reasons for focusing in upon the issue of communication. 
Uh, One, in my experience, this is the thing that couples struggle with the most in a marriage relationship. Uh, We all have common struggles, but perhaps this is the most common. Husbands and wives struggle to communicate well with one another. Uh, Husbands and wives often do struggle to communicate. Their communication may be either non-existent, superficial, maybe it's always marked by hostility. Whenever you try to talk about something important, it goes in the wrong way and it becomes hostile. Two, if my reasoning is sound, improving communication will also bring improvements to the other issues that husbands and wives face. I think you would agree with me that if husbands and wives only knew how to speak the truth in love to one another, if they only knew how to communicate well, then they would have what they need to work through any other difficulty that might arise in the marriage relationship. I understand that I am speaking very simply here. Sometimes things do not seem quite so simple, but follow my reasoning. If we could only talk with one another in a loving and and understanding and caring manner, could we not work through other issues within the marriage relationship successfully? I think we could. Three, communication is the lifeblood of every relationship. Uh, The health of your relationship is directly tied to the health of your communication. What makes for a healthy relationship? I would argue it's it's healthy communication, healthy interaction. In fact, you cannot say that you have a relationship with someone if you have never spoken with them. Would you agree with that? If you have never spoken with that person, either verbally or in written form or whatever other form of correspondence you can think of, if you have not interacted or communicated with that person, you cannot say that you have a relationship with them. If if someone asks you the question, do you know so-and-so? You cannot answer in the affirmative unless you have at some point and in some way communicated with that person. And if you have never communicated with them, you may say, I know of her, but you cannot say, I know her. But if there was communication in the past, even if it was only a very brief exchange, then you can, then you can say, I know her. A communication is the thing that establishes a relationship. A relationship becomes a relationship once you communicate. Think of it for a moment. You pass by people every day, don't you? Um, you might even make eye contact with people or brush up against those people as you, as you pass by, but you cannot say that you have a relationship with any of them unless, unless what happens? Unless you talk, unless you communicate. And the moment you communicate, all of a sudden the relationship uh, comes into existence. And the more frequent and substantial the communication, the deeper the relationship You may rightly say that you know a person, even if you only met them once years ago, but you cannot say that you know them well. And how do you come to know someone well? How does that happen? It is by frequent and substantial communication. And this is true of every relationship. Uh, This is true of your relationship with God, for example. A person's relationship with God might be called strong when that person knows God's Word, walks according to it, and lives in constant and prayerful dependence upon the Lord. What makes your relationship with God strong? Is it not uh, this issue of of communication? You you receive His Word, you are led by the power of the Holy Spirit, you you are always in in constant prayer uh, with Him. There you have a relationship with God. Uh, that is is strong, and it is true of our relationships with one another, and it is especially true with the relationship that exists between a husband and wife. The health of a marriage relationship is directly tied to the health of a couple's communication, and that is why I say that communication is the lifeblood of every relationship. I have five points to make that I hope will help us to improve in our communication with one another particularly within the marriage relationship. First of all, husbands and wives must resolve to communicate well with one another. This has to be something that we decide to do, something we resolve to do as couples. A couple of things are implied in this very basic point. First of all, it is implied that good communication requires effort. Good communication requires effort. Have you ever wondered why it is so difficult for us to communicate well? I I don't think I am unique in this. I don't think Lindsay and I are unique in this. Sometimes communication just seems so hard. Why does good communication require so much effort? And the answer to that question is that we are fallen creatures. Communication is difficult for us because of the sins, because of the weaknesses and the immaturities that exist within our own hearts. Stringing together a series of words in a coherent fashion is not difficult for most people. This we learn to do 
at a very young age. We, we learn to put words together into sentences and sentences into you know, these, these paragraphs to communicate thought, to communicate ideas. Uh, most of us don't have a difficult time with that. But communication becomes difficult when there is some sin or weakness in the heart of the one speaking or in the heart of the one listening. All of a sudden, this simple act of communicating concepts and ideas to one another becomes exceedingly complex. Why? Because of the sinfulness or, or weakness in the heart of the one speaking or in the heart of the one listening. Uh, things like pride and fear make good communication very difficult. A judgmental or a harsh spirit is a hindrance to good communication. The same may be said of the one who is defensive or overly sensitive. Uh, these sins and weaknesses are barriers to, to healthy communication. It seems to me that this point is illustrated in the narrative of Genesis chapters 2 and 3. We've read this text so many times now, it should be very, very familiar to you. In that passage where the institution of marriage is first mentioned, we read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's the the marriage covenant that is being described here. And the man and his wife, we are told, were both what? They were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Adam and Eve were created uh, to, to enjoy intimacy in the marriage relationship. They were joined together by God in a covenant of companionship, and we know that they did, in fact, enjoy this intimacy, this pure intimacy, uh, the fact that they were close companions. It's, it's communicated here in this phrase, the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. What is meant by this little phrase? We've read it over and over again. Uh, it has not been commented on up to this point. Well, first of all, it simply means that they were physically naked and felt no shame about that. Uh, But there is more to it than that. Uh, The narrative of Genesis 3 will make it clear that their physical nakedness and lack of shame corresponded to and illustrates their spiritual, emotional, and relational nakedness and lack of shame. In other words, Adam and Eve stood before one another completely naked and exposed in every way, as husband and wife, and and they felt no shame. They just enjoyed true and pure companionship with one another. They knew one another truly and thoroughly. They did not hide anything from one another. Why didn't they hide anything from one another? Because there was nothing at that point for them to hide. Before sin entered into the world, there was no shame. This was true for Adam and Eve in regard to the relationship before God, and it was also true of their relationship with one another. But as we will see, all of this changed when Adam fell into sin. What do we read after we read of Adam's eating of the forbidden fruit? Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were what? They they knew that they were naked. And what did they immediately do then after they became aware of their nakedness? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, right? They began to cover themselves. The couple then, we are told in this narrative, hid from God. And what happened to the blissfulness of their one flesh union, right? They hid from God because of their shame. But what happened to the blissfulness of their one flesh union, their Perfect and shameless companionship was corrupted, and it was now marred by conflict. God confronted Adam concerning his sin, and what did Adam say? What did he say about his sin? He immediately shifted the blame and said, The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. It's true, that's what happened. But all of a sudden we see that this the vision that, that, that now exists between God and man and the shame of man because of that. We, we see that it's causing problems on the, the horizontal as well. Now all of a sudden, I guarantee you, Adam and Eve had their first fight here, right? I mean, there's, there's conflict. There, there's conflict now that has entered into human relationships. It was corrupted. Uh, it was marred, uh, the companionship that they once enjoyed. Um, And what did God say to the woman when he pronounced his curse upon her in particular? To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain, you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Genesis 3.16. And so we see that this broken relationship between God and man had ramifications for the relationship between uh, man and woman, husband 
and wife. That, that is what I am saying. Uh, do not be surprised that good communication will require effort this side of the fall. A good communication does not just naturally happen for us. Yes, you can string together words and communicate thoughts quite, quite naturally and quite, quite easily, but do not be surprised when you find that when you try to communicate something simple, it's not understood. There's defensiveness, there's pride, there's, there's all sorts of things uh, that get into the way of our good uh, communication with one another. We have to resolve to communicate with one another well. We have to work at this. The problem is that the sin that resides within our hearts um, gets in the way. We, we, we are harsh sometimes. We are judgmental. We're defensive. We're uncaring. We're disengaged in our communication. And this is due to our sin. The second thing implied by this first point, husbands and wives must resolve to communicate well with one another, is that many are in fact complacent in their poor communication. Uh, you and I, uh, brothers and sisters, have developed communication habits, whether we know it or not. I'm sure of it. And I'm also confident that some of those habits are not good habits, but are very bad habits. Some have the habit, for example, of not really listening at all. So there you are talking, but you're, you're not tuned in to what is being said. You're not really concerned to understand what the other is saying. Others have the habit of speaking harshly, and others have the habit of shutting down when the conversation goes in a direction that they're not pleased with. I could go on and on with this list as well, uh, listing off all of the bad communication habits that we have. But be aware of the fact that we probably have them. I'm sure we do. And at some point, we simply have to decide that we are going to make, a, that, that we are going to make good and godly communication a priority. At some point, we must say this, God and Christ are Lord, not only over that which I think and do, but also over my speaking and even my listening. And so tell me, friends, do you speak and listen to the glory of God? Do you? Is He Lord even over your speaking and over your listening? Are you mindful of this to have God rule and reign even over that aspect of your life? We must. Our communication is so important. I'm not going to develop this thought too much for the sake of time, but I'm convinced that one of the ways that we can glorify God the most is through our communication. I was sitting at my desk this week just kind of pondering this idea here. Uh, we, we think about being glorified so often by what we think and by what we do, but, but what about how we talk and how we listen? I think here, actually, God is glorified most when we relate to one another and communicate one another in a godly way. God is a communicating God, isn't He? He is a communicating God. One of the things that it means for us to be made in His image is that we are able to communicate with Him in a way that no other creature can. Right? And one of the things that it means for us to be a part of the human species is that we are able to communicate with one another. Eve was made to correspond to Adam. Right, The two could, among other things, communicate with one another, and together they could commune with God. And so what I am saying is here we have this capacity to communicate with God and with one another, and we have this ability to bring great glory to God uh, through what we do in this realm of our lives. What is the marriage relationship all about, brothers and sisters? What is it? Is it not to serve as a, a picture of God's covenantal relationship with His people? Is it not to function as a, a picture or an analogy of Christ's relationship to the church? What do we see here between God and His people and Christ and His church except great intimacy? God has revealed Himself to us through the Son. We are to know Him. We are to live in union with Him always. And if we are to truly reflect that reality, don't we have to labor, therefore, to have a close and intimate relationship with one another as husband and wife, to communicate with one another as a reflection of how God has communicated to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us bring glory to God through our communication. Let us resolve to have good communication. Uh, this brings us to the second point in this sermon, which is husbands and wives must communicate in love. Husbands and wives must communicate in love. Let us communicate being driven by our love for God and our love for one another. I would assume that many, when they hear the exhortation to speak the truth in love, they assume it means to speak in a gentle and loving tone. Speak the truth in love, you think, I am always to speak in a gentle and loving tone. That is the meaning of it. Well, it's true. Our tone should usually 
be gentle and loving. I, I agree with that. But actually, I can think of instances where it is good and even right, dare I say, and, and most loving to speak in a firm and confrontational tone. There actually is a time and place for that, brothers and sisters. I'm not at all proposing that husbands and wives should always be aggressive with one another and, and firm in their speech. That's not what I'm proposing here. Don't misunderstand me. But think of Christ's speech. Think of the way he communicated with uh, the religious leaders of his day that were corrupt. Did he not speak to them sometimes uh, forcefully? Did he not speak firmly with them? Yes. Did he sin when he did so? No, because it was right that he spoke in that way. And in fact, I would argue that he was being most loving toward that individual when he spoke to that individual firmly. Why? Because God's glory was his prime concern and the good of that individual was motivating his speech. And so therefore, he spoke the truth and love to that one firmly. He confronted him concerning his sin and it was right that he did so. And so there is a time and place for, for that sort of thing, to speak firmly when I say that we are to speak the truth in love, I, I am saying that, generally speaking, our tone needs to be gentle and kind and compassionate. Uh, that, of course, is true. But more than that, I, I am saying that love needs to be the thing that drives and that governs all of our communication with one another. Why are you saying what you are saying, brother? Why are you saying what you are saying, sister? Is it to honor God? Is it because you love Him supremely? And is it for the good of that person with whom you are communicating? Is that why you are saying it? This is what it means to speak the truth in love. I'm asking, what is motivating your communication when you listen and speak to your spouse or your children or anyone for that matter? What is driving you? What principle is governing you? Uh, two things should be driving all of our communication First of all, love for God, and secondly, love for one another. I will ask the question again, are you seeking the glory and honor of God in your listening and in your speaking? Are you mindful of this question as you communicate with others? Is God, right now in this moment, is He pleased with the way that I am listening and with the way that I am speaking? Are you mindful of that? Wouldn't that take care of most of the issues that we have with our communication? If we would only ask the question, okay, God sees me right now. Is he happy right now with the way that I'm talking to my wife and the level of attention that I'm giving her, my efforts that I'm making to, to truly understand her? Is he pleased with it? And secondly, are you seeking the good of your neighbor, in this instance, your spouse, in your communication? Is your communication with others driven and governed by love? I'm convinced that most of our failures in communication can be traced back to a failure to love the one we are communicating with. Instead of loving and serving the other with our ears and minds and mouth, we love and serve ourselves. There have been times, uh, friends, where as a father, I have spoken too harshly to my children. Um, I've grown impatient with them. I've barked at them. And when I have taken the time to analyze those instances um, of sinful communication, I've often come to the conclusion that I was simply being lazy as a father. I don't know if you, other, you fathers have experienced this. You know, you, you bark at your children, you, you realize it was wrong, you think, why did I do that? It, it, I was being lazy as a father. Instead of being driven for, by my love for God and, and love for my children, I was driven by love for myself. Instead of asking the question, what do my children truly need right now? I asked the question, though I didn't realize it at the time, what will be easiest for me? What will be most pleasant for me? What did my children really need in that moment? Uh, what would have been most beneficial to them? They probably needed their father to intervene in the situation, whatever the situation was, in a calm manner. They needed their father to listen so as to truly understand the situation, whatever it was. And they probably needed their father to offer advice and maybe even firm discipline so that the problem might be truly resolved and so that the sin, whatever it was, might be truly um, punished and, and repented of, addressed and repented of. And that is what my children really needed, but that would have required a lot of time and effort on my part. And I was tired, let's say, and so I carelessly communicated. Instead of listening and seeking to understand before speaking, maybe even firmly, I just yelled at them and went my merry way. It was laziness. What was driving my communication in, those moment, in that moment, that, that hypothetical moment, what was driving it? It was not love for God and love for them. What was governing it? Not love for God, love for them, but it was a love for self. I, I, I'm just too tired to deal with it. So knock it off and you, know, you, you, you go your way. 
And what could I say about arguments that I've had with my wife? Uh, Truly, the same principle applies. If my communication with her was always driven and governed by love for God and my love for her, then I don't think we would ever fight. And I mean that. I don't think we would ever fight. We might have differences of opinion, but those differences of opinion would never turn into arguments or fights if we were being driven and governed by love as we communicate with one another. How could it possibly happen? We would just sit there and and lovingly talk to one another and work it through. I don't think Lindsay and I are unique in this. There have been times where after having an argument, we look back upon the argument and we have a really hard time remembering what the argument was about. Uh, did anyone else have that? Uh, you, you know, you, what started this again? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Maybe it was a different opinion about money or about the color to paint the walls or where to go to dinner, but the argument became an argument, not because of money or paint or a restaurant, but because of a failure to love. At some point, we just got selfish. At some point, someone decided that they would have to have their way. At some point, pride crept in, you know. Someone got defensive, and and all of a sudden, this conflict, this disagreement, rather, this disagreement became a conflict. It's sin that caused the fight, and not the difference of opinion. James 4 poses a question. Did you hear it earlier? What causes quarrels and fights among you? What causes quarrels and fights among you? And listen carefully again to the answer that James gives. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Here you have a passion. passion. We use that word passion in a positive way a lot in our culture. And uh, I don't want you to take this too far. but, But a passionate person is an immature person. A passionate person is someone who's not stable. A passionate person who is, is, is someone who has strong desires and is driven by those desires, tossed to and fro like a wave of, of the sea, you see. I, I, that's how the word passion, I think, traditionally has been used, not in a positive way. Should you have a passion for God, that's how we use the term now. Well, in a sense, but, but it should be a strong and stable passion, not an immature one, you, you see. Uh, it should be one that is constant. Uh, Here, we see that passions actually get us in trouble. Uh, We get ourselves into trouble when passions are at war within us. Uh, You desire and do not have, so you murder, James says. Sounds extreme, but the the topic here is actually quarrels, uh, communication. You, you, You end up murdering one another with your words because you have these passions within you and you cannot get what you want. You covet and you cannot obtain so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You should just go and, and, and ask God for these things. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It is selfishness or, or the sin of covetousness in the heart which causes quarrels and fights. If we were not so selfish, if we were not so about ourselves and getting our way, then these quarrels and these fights would not come about. We might have differences of opinion, but we could work them through its selfishness, the sin of covetousness that causes these quarrels and fights. So, brothers and sisters, our communication with one another must flow, not from selfish hearts, but from selfless and loving hearts. We should be able to look into the eyes of the one that we are communicating with and think this, I am going to interact with this person in a way that is pleasing to God and in a way that will be for their good. What, what do they need? What will be for their good? Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 has the church in view, but it's applicable. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is the goal of our communication? We're to speak the truth in love in order to build one another up. There should be selflessness at the core of it, thinking, what can I do right now? What can I say in order to help this one, in order to build this one up? Uh, Spouses have been exhorted in the sermon series to love one another, that is, to live for the good of the other. And what I am proposing to you now is that the greatest opportunity we have to love one another is through our communication. We love one another when we listen and seek to truly understand one another, And you know, brothers and sisters, how much power there is in our words. Our words have the power either to build up or to tear down. And I am saying we have this opportunity to truly build one another up and love one another with our words. Thirdly, husbands and wives must learn to listen well. 
When I say communication, I would imagine that the very first thing that comes to mind is talking. When I say the word communication, do you do not think of the act of talking? But really, the beginning of, of good communication involves what? It involves listening. And by listening, I do not mean allowing the other person to make noise with their mouth so that your eardrums vibrate. That's not listening, okay? You might be quiet, and they might be talking. Their vocal cords might be doing their thing, and your eardrums might be doing uh, their thing. Uh, That's not listening, though. That's not what I'm describing here. When I talk about listening, I mean actually laboring to understand the other person's point of view before responding, actually desiring to to understand where they are coming from. And I would argue that most of our bad communication begins with poor listening. We don't really have it in our heart to understand the other person's point of view. Instead, what are we thinking about? How am I going to get across my point of view? Uh, That's what's on our mind and in our heart the moment the conversation begins. Instead, we ought to begin by listening, and what I mean is truly listening, laboring to understand the other person's point of view, truly desiring to hear it and to know it before we respond. This is why James says earlier in his epistle, let every person be quick to do what? Hear or listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. And so what is the thing that we should do first when communicating, we should listen. This is the thing we should be eager to do. We should listen. We should labor to truly understand the perspective of the other person. And what is the thing that we should be willing to delay, perhaps for a very long time? Our speaking. That is what James says. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. By the way, the person who doesn't listen and speaks is probably also going to be prone to anger. That is the connection, I think between these three things, hearing and speaking and anger. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. That is Proverbs 18.13. If, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 29.20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Put rather bluntly. If we hope to have good communication, we have to learn to listen well. And So be sure, brothers and sisters, that you are giving full attention to the one who is speaking. This is the first thing you must do in order to be a good listener. Well, the very first thing is you have to resolve to have it in your heart to truly understand the other person. But after that issue of the heart is taken care of, you need to give the person who is talking your full attention. You know, some have a bad habit of, of, of listening to someone but being off on a distant planet somewhere. I don't know if you've ever spoken with someone like that. It could be very frustrating. Here you are saying something, and, and, and you're just thinking, are you there? Are you even here present in this conversation? Where are you? You seem to be uh, drifting off. We, we need to lock in with the one that we are communicating with. Hear them truly. Uh, listen attentively. And I think this is Especially important, the second thing that I am going to say about being a good listener, in in important or sensitive conversations, maybe use this tactic. Repeat back to the person what it is that you heard them say. Maybe you could say something like this. If I understand you correctly, this is what you are saying to me right now. This is especially useful in sensitive conversations, important conversations. They say something to you, and in an attempt to truly understand what they're saying, you might say, if I understand you correctly, this is is what I hear you saying. Thirdly, I think it is also helpful to ask clarifying questions, saying, is this what you meant when you said such and such? Is this what you meant? Um, Or or did you mean this instead? Or what exactly were you trying to get at when when you said this thing? We should be ever aware of the fact that we are prone to misunderstand what others are saying. Do not assume that you have heard the other person correctly. I, I, as a pastor, I talk a lot, right? Uh, both from the pulpit and also in private conversations. And there are some times where I am just absolutely astonished at what people heard me say <laughs> when it's repeated back to me. You know, well, the other day you said this. That's not at all what I meant. You know, the only thing I'm pointing out here is how easy it is for our communication to go off the rails. And so ask clarifying questions. Uh, this, is, this is what I un- understood you to be saying. Is it what you meant or did you mean uh, something else? Uh, ask those questions that will 
help you to get at the root of their actual thought, of their actual intention. Uh, We need to be aware of the fact that we are prone to misunderstand what others are saying. Uh, Sometimes we take what others are saying in a different way from how they intended it. Sometimes we read into what they're saying. Have you ever done this? They say one thing, but you read a whole world of information into that one statement. It's not fair to the other person to do that. Uh, Sometimes we are defensive. Sometimes we are prideful in our listening. If our goal is to truly understand the other person, then we will take the time to ask clarifying questions. The trouble is that our goal is often not to hear so as to understand the other, but to get our own way. Instead of listening carefully, repeating what we have heard and asking clarifying questions, we actually just immediately go to the task of picking apart the words of the other person so that we might capitalize on every misstep and assume the worst so that we might have the ammunition to use it against the other to win the argument. Would you agree that this happens in our communication sometimes? Do you see how uncharitable that is? Do you see how unloving that is? And yes, you can have a communication that way if you'd like, just to listen. Okay, I'm going to wait for them to slip up. You know, They're going to say this thing in the wrong way, and I'm going to pounce on it so that I might turn it back on them and win the argument. If winning the argument or getting your way is your motivating factor, you've already lost. Let us begin by saying, I want to understand the other person. I want to treat them with love and respect and honor. Uh, That is my goal, not to win, but to bring honor and glory to God in this and to do things for their good. Brothers and sisters, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Philippians 2, 3-5. Let us love one another by truly listening to one another. Fourthly, Husbands and wives must learn to speak well. Husbands and wives would be wise to say the right thing to one another at the right time and in the right way. Husbands and wives should always say the right thing to one another. We we should always speak the truth to one another. Never should we tell a lie. And sometimes husbands and wives will need to say difficult things to one another. If there is some weakness or sin that you see in your spouse, uh, some, some aspect of the family that is going in the wrong direction, this, this should not be ignored. We do have to address those things. So, some, I have found, are prone to avoid difficult conversations at all costs. Are you one of those? You, know, you, you hate any kind of confrontation, and so you will avoid those difficult conversations at all costs. If you are one of those... I would say to you, this might seem as the easy thing to do in the short term, but things are going to be much more difficult for you in the long run. Those problems do not just magically go away. In fact, they grow and grow, and they multiply even. And so it is good for us to to confront uh, those those sins or or those wrongs or or those things that need to be brought into order. We, We must confront them. Others, though, are hasty and careless in their confrontation. Maybe this is you. You see a problem, and what do you do? You have this personality type. You address it immediately and often in a very harsh manner. Uh, This also is not wise. Um, In some ways, I think it is better than the other thing. At least you are addressing problems, but, but, but it's not wise, and it's not good or godly. We should be truthful with one another, but, but what I am saying is that timing and tone also matter. And so, husband, if there is something you need to address with your wife, I would urge you to be careful uh, when it is that you choose to do it. Uh, Do not address it when the two of you are tired or in the middle of an already heated argument or when the kids are around. Uh, Don't do it on the first date night that you've had in a while. That probably wouldn't be wise either, right? Uh, Timing matters. Wives, if there is something you need to address with your husband, be careful when you choose to do it. Uh, Perhaps not the moment he walks in the door from a long and stressful day of work. That might not be the time to to address that, that issue that's been simmering for a while. And so timing matters, and tone also matters. Uh, conf- confrontation uh, does not have to involve conflict. It does not have to turn into a war. We should be able to speak calmly to one another about difficult matters. We should be aware of our tone and also our body language when we communicate. We're talking here about tone of voice, but also a body language. The goal should be to say what needs to be said at a time and in a way 
that gives the other person the greatest opportunity to listen well to what is being said. Here also, we are to love one another in this. You know you have something difficult to say to them, and because you love them and care for them and want what is good for them, you you are going to resolve to bring it up at the right time and to say it in the right way so as to give them the greatest opportunity to actually hear. You're aware of perhaps their sinful propensities to grow defensive or to be caught up with pride, and you're trying to help them with that. That is the idea. Say the right thing at the right time in the right way. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Of course, that text has its own context. I don't want to pull it uh, too aggressively from that context. But there's a good principle here. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt uh, makes it easier to swallow, doesn't it? Uh, What you're about to say when something is seasoned with salt. Proverbs 15, 14, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.23 To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. In other words, a word, a good word, spoken well at the right time, what a wonderful thing that is. So I do understand that some people, and men in particular perhaps, struggle with communication and that they do not talk enough, Men, we do need to talk. We need to communicate deeply with our wives. We need to pursue intimacy in the level of our communication. We have to be willing to do this, to talk about things that are deep and substantial. And so I do not want to encourage men in falling short in this area, but many more people struggle with communication because their words are too numerous, you see. I think more people struggle with that. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, the Proverbs say. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, oftentimes we get into trouble because we just say too much. We let our words fly carelessly. Brothers and sisters, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Did you hear that command from the apostle? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. Is that you? Or do you tear down with your words? Lindsay can testify to this. I think there was a time where I was much more consistently sarcastic with her, you know, uh, joking all the time. And Joking is fine. And sarcasm can be a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But brothers and sisters, we have to be careful that Our communication is not always marked by kidding around and sarcasm. It it can really tear down a relationship over time. I think it is important for us to, to always build up with our words, for our words to be seasoned with salt, gracious. You know, that needs to be the predominant thing going on within a marriage relationship. Husbands, I will speak to you directly right here. Resolve to talk to your wife in a godly manner in a kind and compassionate manner, in a tender manner. Build her up. Just watch her flourish. Watch her thrive as you make effort to do that on a daily basis, to be kind and loving to your wife with your words. She's going to thrive like that plant perhaps that's been parched and dry for a while. You put water to it and it just, it just blossoms. Uh, wives, the same thing needs to be said to you. Instead of speaking down to your husband or complaining against him, Praise Him, thank Him, honor Him with your words. Be kind and compassionate to Him. Be positive in the things that you say to Him and watch Him flourish. Uh, We need to learn uh, to talk well as brothers and sisters in Christ and especially as husbands and wives. And fifthly and lastly, husbands and wives must communicate with hearts prepared and pure. Husbands and wives must communicate with hearts prepared and pure. It is so very important for you to understand this principle. The words that come out of your mouth come from your heart. That is where they come from. And so we can talk about all kinds of communication tactics, you know, until we're blue in the face. We can discuss this tactic and that tactic. It won't do any good at all if your heart is corrupt. If your heart is filled with sin, 
If your heart is filled with bitterness and jealousy and anger and every vile thing, what is going to come out of your mouth? You will not be able to control it for long. But all sorts of impurity is going to issue forth from your mouth if that is the condition of your heart. Your, your words come out of your mouth, that, that come out of your mouth, come from your heart. Listen to the words of Christ beginning in Luke 6.43. No good tree bears bad fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching that the way you speak reveals something about your heart. And if you want to change something about the way that you speak, the way that you use your tongue, then it's not about just controlling the tongue. You've got to go deeper, brother. You've got to go deeper than that, sister. You've got to actually have your mind and your heart transformed by the Word of God. You need to speak out of a heart that is pure and prepared. And so are you struggling to control your words? What I would say to you is check your heart. That is where you have to go. What is going on within your own heart? That's the thing that needs to be addressed. And this very same principle is communicated in the James 3 passage that was read at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, James, first of all, in that chapter, draws attention to the power that is in the tongue. Uh, Though a very small part of our body, the tongue has great power. It's kind of like a bit that controls the direction of a powerful horse. It's kind of like the little tiny rudder which steers a great ship. And it's kind of like a small spark which sets a forest ablaze. Uh, So too the tongue, though very small, has the power to do great harm or great good. The way we use our tongue in many ways determines the course of our life. That's the point that James is making. And James also points out that the tongue is the hardest thing of all to control. You might have a level of self-control and you're able to control your actions, right? Uh, That which you do. Um, But the tongue is much more difficult to control. In fact, he says not many of you should become teachers Uh, my brothers. For for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. What is this point? If you you show that you have self-control over your tongue, you are showing that you really have self-control. You are a mature person if you have control over your tongue. And again, in verse 7, every beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. I think James is speaking from a humanistic perspective here. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. What a great point being made by James here. We come to church on the Lord's Day and we sing praises to our God, and then we go home and we slander, you know. We curse. We tear one another down. And what do we use to do the two things? The same instrument. We use that one instrument to give praise to God. We use the same instrument to tear one another down. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, my brothers, James says, Christian men, Christian women, these things ought not to be so. It should not be true of us. And why is it that we have such a hard time controlling the tongue? How can it be that we use um, the same instrument to spew forth evil and poison and also to bless our God? Uh, James agrees with Jesus. It is the heart that is the problem. Uh, Listen to the similarity of the words between the James passage and the one from Luke that we have just read. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have, listen to this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, where? In your hearts. If you have that in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic, James says. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder and every vile practice. What is James saying? He's addressing the use of the tongue. And what he is saying is, get to the heart of it, brothers and sisters. Be sure that your heart is pure and well prepared so that you might speak well to the glory of God. Uh, that is uh, James's point. He agrees with Jesus, for out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. And so, prepare your hearts, brothers and sisters. Do this daily. Do this daily. But especially do it prior to confronting someone concerning sin. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is out of your brother's eye. Do this daily. Have your hearts prepared and pure, so that you might speak well to the glory of God and for the good of others. But especially when confronting some situation, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. By way of conclusion, uh, friends, let us resolve to communicate well with one another. It's so important that we do. We cannot be careless any longer in this realm. We have to decide that we are going to speak and listen to the glory of God. Uh, Let our communication be driven and governed by our love for God and our love for one another. May that be the thing driving our speaking and our listening. Let us learn to listen well. Let us also learn to speak well. And above all, let us live with hearts that are pure and well prepared, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The health of our marriages depend largely upon the health of our communication. Remember, our goal as husbands and wives is not just to make it to the end. It's good if you do. I pray that you would. But we are seeking marriages that thrive to the glory of God. If we hope to have healthy and God-honoring marriages, we must learn to love one another in our listening and also in our speech. Let us bow together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would give us aid in these things. Uh, Your word is clear that our tongues are very powerful instruments. Though small, they can do so much good and they can do so much harm. And so help us to bring our tongues under control, Lord. Uh, Not only by learning good tactics for communication, but much more importantly, Lord, uh, that our hearts would be pure uh, before you. So help us to purify our hearts. Help us to confess sin where it exists, Lord. Help us to come before you daily to ask you to give us the strength to live well before you, Lord. We pray uh, that our marriages would be blessed, that they would thrive as we do cultivate deep and meaningful communication with one another. Lord, uh, give us grace in these things. May it be so for husbands and wives. May it be so for us as a congregation. Uh, May we communicate well with one another and love one another uh, through our words and through our listening. Father, Help us in these things for our good and for your glory. It is our prayer in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen.